0: Well, I want to welcome you. Uh, It's good morning. I'll be giving live updates of the masters as uh, the service proceeds. Um, Not really, just kidding. Uh, I am Dave Roth. I have uh, been attending faith off and on for about the past year, and I just love it here. I just love it here. I was the pastor of Adult Education and Discipleship at Hope Church for about 14 years, and then about a year ago I retired uh, after about 40-some years of ministry, and Pastor Greg has been incredibly gracious in asking me to preach in the contemporary service this last September, and now I, I will be there uh, the rest of this month. Of course, little did we know uh, that I would also be preaching in this service as well, but because of Pastor Greg's situation, I'm uh, more than glad to uh, fill in. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard, Pastor Greg was with uh, someone who tested positive and although he's quarantined right now, he his, he got tested, and it was negative. Yeah, praise God. So we're very glad about that. So thank you for allowing me the privilege of being with you all this morning. With that, uh, let us come before the Lord our God, entering his gates with praise and thanksgiving. Please turn to him, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, number 13. Please stand. Let us continue to stand as you're able and to recite the Apostles' Creed. Please join in with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. Well, let us greet one another with our beloved COVID observing wave offering. Thank you, you may be seated. Uh, for the announcements, I'll just go ahead and uh, let you read the announcements on the back, and uh, rather than me reading them to you, so I'll let you do that at your convenience. If you will, just bow with me and let us pray. Well, Lord God, we just want to take this time to remember, to remember that you are the one who rescued us when we had nowhere else to turn. And to remember the many, many ways you have protected us, provided for us, put your hand upon us. To remember the miracles and the ways you've intervened in our lives and the lives of those we love. To remember your inexhaustible grace and forgiveness your unending patience with our weakness and our sin. As Lord, we remember, we remember these things and so much more, which are simply byproducts of your love and your goodness and your sovereignty over our lives. Father, we give you the concerns of our day, the concerns of our hearts, And to take these moments to find our rest in Christ. Though the surface of our lives may be as tumultuous as a storm on the high sea, the anchor of our soul, Jesus Christ, holds us steady in these quiet places beneath the sea. As your word says, The steadfast of mind thou wilt keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. So Lord, once again, this morning, through the worship and through the message, help us to set the anchor of our heart and fix our mind on you. May this morning's worship Be a source of strength that helps us to take your peace and your presence into the rest of our week. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Scripture lesson that we have for today is taken from Matthew Chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. should be there in your pew Bible on page 685. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the Field grow, they do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the, gra- clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I entitled the message today, I Believe, Help My Own belief. I'm sure you're familiar with that story. But worry has been defined as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Another person said that worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but you won't go anywhere. The Mayo brothers who founded the Mayo Clinic declared years ago that more than half of the hospital beds were occupied by people with nervous troubles. Yet when the actual nerves of these people were examined, their nervous systems were perfectly fine. You see, their nervous troubles were not caused by physical deterioration of the nervous system, but by the emotions of futility and frustration, frustration, anxiety, worry, and fear. Dr. Carl Menninger in his book Man Against Himself gives a startling revelation of how we are destroying our bodies and our minds by anxiety and frustration, hatred, resentment, rebellion, and fear. You know, heart, we know this, that heart disease is the number one killer in America today. During Second World War, almost a third of a million men were killed in combat, but did you know that during that same period of time, heart disease disease killed over two million people? And one million of those who died was a direct result of the kind of heart disease that is brought on by worry and high tension. Two million. William James said it perfectly, the Lord may forgive us our sins, but... The nervous system never does. So what is the cure? What is the cure for worry and anxiety? Well, I think the answer is obvious. The opposite of worry is what? Faith, right? Faith is the one thing that is absolutely critical to the Christian life. You know, recently I've been rereading the uh, Gospels, and the thing that has stuck out to me is the sheer number of times that Jesus attributes a person's faith to his supernatural work. For example, woman, your faith has made you well. Or have you, I have never seen a faith as great in all of Israel. Or you of little faith, or according to your faith, be it done unto you. In fact, I counted 33 times Jesus directly attributed his supernatural work to people's faith. But too often, like I said, we're, we're like the, the man whose son was demonized, and we say, Lord, I believe. Boy, but help my unbelief. So one part of us believes, but another part of us struggles to believe. And so we're a lot like the disciples who pleaded with Jesus saying, Lord, increase our faith. But what was Jesus' response back He said, yeah, if you have faith as a mustard mustard seed, well, we all know that a mustard seed was known for its smallness, right? Therein lies the answer to our faith problem. You see, what Jesus was saying to them was, it's not how big or small your faith is, rather it is the strength of the object of your timid. The object of his faith is totally, totally reliable. You see, The more we have a vision, you know, and an understanding and a knowledge of the thickness, if you will, of the object of our faith, the greater confidence, the greater courage we can have. In other words, faith will not be something we have to, you know, crank up. It will be a natural response that comes from a heart that knows God. I I bet, I bet. A number of you have read this book. It's called Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. But he says something I think incredibly classic and very, very, very important. I think every believer should take this to heart. He says this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I really like that. The thing that comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about it. It will determine everything about us. You see, the greater our idea of who God is, the greater our faith will be. This is why I want to spend the rest of our time talking about one of the powerful aspects about God that can have an amazing, an amazing effect on our ability to overcome worry, stress, and tension. And that is the sovereignty of God. Now, I know this is a big, it's a big old subject, but I believe that this alone can thicken the ice of our understanding of who God is, the sovereignty of God. Now, do you all remember a book? This was some time ago. I date myself, but it was called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. By, uh, it was written years ago by uh, Rabbi Kushner. Uh, he, he, it was his attempt to make sense out of a, a tragedy in his own family, and he was trying to resolve the issue between a sovereign God and the reality of evil. Rabbi Kushner concluded that the author of the book of Job was, and I quote, forced to choose between a good God who is not totally all powerful or a God who is all powerful but not totally good. Hmm. So Kushner believed that the author of Job resorted to choosing to believe God's goodness over his power. So according to Kushner, it can't be both, that God is both all powerful and yet all good and all loving. And so he chose to believe God's goodness over and love over his being all powerful. So in other words, for Kushner, it's kind of like God can affect some situations, but even he got, even God, is at the mercy of fate and evil, where he's left you know, hanging his head, wringing his divine hand, saying, Man, Oh man! I try. I, I tried to keep that plane from crashing, but the wind just took me by surprise and took that plane right out of my hands. Dang it! I just wish there could have been something more I could have done. Now oh, I know. Before we dismiss this out of hand, okay? The appealing part of what he is saying, what Kushner is saying, is that he does answer the big question that has haunted men for uh, several millenniums, which is, if God is all-powerful and all-good and all-loving, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much heartache and evil suffering in the world? So he does answer that. And so Kushner, in his zeal to reconcile evil, fate, with God has had to either lop off God's power or lop off God's goodness and love to make any sense of this divine dilemma. But the problem, the problem in doing so, he chooses his own rationality over what the Bible clearly teaches, which is that God is both all-powerful and all-good and all loving. <laughs> So, sure, it's easy to dismiss uh, Kushner and his conclusions, but let me say this. Before we do, we need to examine our own shortcomings when it comes to thinking about God's sovereignty. I find that there are typically two things wrong with the way we often refer to the providence of God. One is that we almost always refer to God's sovereignty and control in connection with the good things that happen to us. Uh, Way back... uh, years ago, my family and I, we lived in Charlotte, and we were on our way to uh, Myrtle Beach, and we were on this two-lane highway for part of the time, and just as I came over the hill, an oncoming car was just, had just passed somebody and was slipping back into their own lane. Just the second we came over the hill, and I thought of God's providence, and I thought of God's protection. I mean, if 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 we had been in that same place just 5, 10, 15 seconds earlier, well, it could have been terrifying. And so I chalked it up to God's sovereignty, right? Well, think about it. You almost never hear someone say something like, God was really watching over us when we almost had that head-on collision, (laughs) right? We almost never attribute bad things to the intervening hand of God the implication we make whether it is conscious or unconscious is that god intervenes at some points in our lives but maybe not all so that he's usually sovereign over our lives but maybe not always now i realize most of us here don't we don't mean to imply this but often this is the attitude that is reflected in our daily lives, by the way we respond to negative things that happen to us. But when we think this way, you know, when we think this way, we are essentially agreeing with Rabbi Kushner that God is all good, and yes, absolutely all loving, but maybe not all that powerful or all that in control. He's sovereign some of the time, but maybe not all the time. Well, let's look at what Scripture says. I think one of the most powerful verses in the Bible is found in Colossians 1.17, which says, In him all things hold together. Now, I happen to believe when he says all things, well, he means all things. I remember I was fascinated by the fact that no one knows what holds electrons in their orbits around the neutron and its molecular structure. It's the smallest unit that makes up all things. It is thought that gravitons, quote-unquote, transmit the gravitational force that is necessary for the electrons to remain intact. But at this point, at this point is merely a theory and has not been empirically observed. And guess what? It will likely never be observed because it's an invisible force. So what's that invisible force? (laughs) Well, Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things have come into being through him, and apart from him not even one thing came into being that has come into being. So, if this is true, then the molecules that make up the pew you're sitting on, the floor I'm standing on, the car you will be driving home, the home that you live in is all held together by the invisible force of the Word of God. In fact, the Bible tells us that God created all things. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Psalm 33, 9. Genesis 1, 1 tells us that God has created both the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 40 26 says, He brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them all by name, millions, billions of stars, and that's just in our own galaxy. It's estimated that there are some 100 billion other galaxies like our galaxy in the universe. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, represents one trillionth of the universe. One trillionth. He calls the stars all by name, and because of his great power and the strength of his might, not one of them, not one of them is missing. But not only that, the Bible also teaches us that God sustains you and I. Acts 17, he himself gives all men and breath and, and life and everything else, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. Every breath we breathe is from God. Every bite of food we take is given from his hand. Every day we live is ordained by him, you see, God not only sustains His creation, but He governs it as well. Psalms one fifteen three says, "But our God is in heavens; He does whatever He pleases." Jeremiah asks, "Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it?" Lamentations three twenty seven. Proverbs sixteen one says, "The mind of man plans his way, but God directs his steps." That's my ace in the hole. And it says in Proverbs 19, 21, Many are the plans in the heart of a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in him, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. Daniel 4, verse 35 says, God does whatever he pleases, and with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth, no one can hold back his hand and say, What have you done? St. Augustine of the 4th century says this, nothing therefore happens unless the omnipotent wills it to happen. He either permits it to happen or he brings it about himself. And then Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, verse 29 through 31, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your heavenly Father. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Therefore do not fear, you are more value than many, many sparrows. So according to Jesus, there's not one little thing that, about you that escapes his notice. Uh, John Piper says in his newest book, The Coronavirus and Christ, not one sparrow falls, but by God's plan. Not one virus moves, but by God's plan. This he calls, this is what Piper calls, the. I like this, the meticulous sovereignty of God. The, he says the sovereignty of God is all-encompassing and all-pervasive. He holds absolute sway over this world. Then Piper goes on and it, to precedes and lists about 30-some things that the Word of God directly attributes to God's control. Hang with me, the wind. Lightning, snow, gnats, flies, locusts, quail, worms, sparrows, grass, plants, famine, the sun, prison doors, blindness, le- leprosy, deafness, paralysis, fever, every disease, the hearts of kings and their nations. <laughs> and on and on and on. The meticulous sovereignty of God. Think about it. So, yes, the coronavirus was sent, therefore, by God's hand. It is a bitter season, yes, of course, but God has ordained it, God governs it, and he will end it. No part of it is outside his sway. Do you believe that? Okay. So why has God allowed this virus? (laughs) What is God doing? Well, God is doing what he's always doing, He's doing a million and one things that we have no idea what he's doing in preparation for our eternity and our heavenly existence. Again, Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Psalms 40 verse 5 says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be counted. So yes, God is doing more things in us, listen, personally, in our nation, and in the world than we can ever hope or imagine or even count. But we as Christians, let's go back to the beginning of this message about worry and fear. I think for myself and and many of us, this pandemic is revealing some of the fissures of our faith, fissures in our true knowledge about who God is. On one hand, we have what we say we believe is true about God, but on the other hand, our actions and our emotions often belie what we say we truly believe, right? Uh, I have a little workbook. I really, really love this workbook. It was written back in the 70s by Warren and Ruth Myers. It, and uh, it was it's called Experiencing God's Attributes. Great little work. I think it's still being published. Uh, but with each attribute of God, one of the questions uh, they have you respond to asks this. Although with my conscious mind... Hang with me here. Listen, although with my conscious mind I agree that God is whatever the attribute is, we'll use God's sovereignty because that's our our attribute for today. Although with my uh, conscious mind I agree that God is sovereign, does my outward, and I will add, my inward life demonstrate that he is? It's a great question. Let me say it again. Although with my conscious mind I agree that God is sovereign, does my outward life, my actions, my responses, and my inward life, my heart, and my emotions demonstrate that he is? Wow, that's a big question, isn't it? How many of us here have been at times swept hmm, by a wave of panic and anxiousness and fear over this virus? Maybe it was uh, when you found out someone you had been with tested positive or you had touched a bunch of products and forgot to sanitize your hands afterwards or you accidentally shook hands and hugged someone and uh, trying not to be rude, you didn't immediately <laughs> sanitize your, your hands or maybe one day you woke up and you didn't feel very well, you know, felt maybe a little bit of a sore throat or kind of achy and a wave of panic goes through your your heart. Well, I had a scare this summer. Um, I, I actually sort of hesitate to tell you because you're gonna think, man, Ralph, you are really dumb. But yes, I really was. But uh, you know, this is for the glory of God. And so yes, I will be the fool for Christ here. So here's what happened. I uh, was scheduled to have an endoscopy. Uh, uh, did I say that right? Endoscopy? It, anyway, it's a fairly quick operation where they stick a camera down your throat and look into the interior of your stomach. And, um, and so I had to get tested before I went through this operation. And so I went for a COVID test and I went to this little clinic on Summer Avenue and I got there a little early so I could avoid any long lines. And, and so I was one of the first ones there, but it was a really pretty quick procedure. I was in and out in say 10, maybe 15 minutes so I go to the front door and immediately am handed a clipboard and a pen to fill out the paperwork, which I do. Then after I went into another room and sit down, the nurse, you know, puts a swab up your nose. Okay, she does that, no problem. But upon leaving, I have to open a couple of doors by taking it by the doorknob. And, uh, and so I do. And before I know it, I'm I'm outside and back in my car. Well, I get into my car, but I'm immediately distracted by a decision I had to make really quickly, and that is uh, whether I still have time to catch up with my family who was going to Kentucky Lake for that weekend. Uh, see, I was, th- I was thinking the procedure was gonna take longer. I thought it was gonna you know, take more of the morning. And so I had to make a quick decision whether I was gonna try to catch up with them or not. But uh, eventually I decided not to go, but I got home, And it smacked me up against the head. When I get to my kitchen, I hadn't sanitized my hands (laughs) that whole time. I mean, I got in my car, I had forgotten totally about it. And I just kind of just spaced out, you know, and forgot thoroughly to 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 do all that. I'm thinking, how what an idiot, you know, how dumb could I be? Well, for the next week, I woke up every morning checking to see if I had any symptoms, found myself really having to invoke Psalms 91, and I would really recommend that to you, to ward off the fear and the panic that would just kind of sneak in. Uh, By the way, I did a sermon on in September, in the contemporary service on Psalm 91, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I love that. Abide means to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, you are my fortress, you are my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the uh, snare of the trapper and the deadly pestilence. But I want to tell you, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night... <laughs> it was so easy to feel this flood of anxiety and panic and go to into all the what ifs and worst case scenarios. And so for me one of the really significant purposes God has for this pandemic is to refine and to purify my faith and to fortify to fortify my deep personal knowledge of him. Proverbs 17:3 says The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. He tests our heart. Psalm 66.3 says, for you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. And then Isaiah 48.10 says, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And so for, for many of us, maybe probably most of us, this pandemic is an opportunity. It is an opportunity not to be wasted. It is a testing ground. It is an opportunity for us to see what we're really made of and what our faith is really made of. It's an opportunity for us to go really, really deep Deep, deeper than we have or ever been into knowing God on a whole new emotional level. Now, I say emotional, I say emotional level. What do I mean? Well, f- first of all, I know, I know you all know about the sovereignty of God. I know this is not a lot of new stuff with what I've said about the sovereignty of God and the scriptures I've used. I know that's not new to you all. And I believe that most of you have a pretty good idea that the Lord's in control over things in our lives. But for many of us, I think these lofty ideas about God's sovereignty can tend to be more of a head knowledge type of thing than something that has been driven from the head to the heart. In other words, it's something we know more about than we feel about. It's certainly been like that for me more often than not. Fairly early in my walk with the Lord, this hit me right between the eyes. I had come to the point in my Christian life where I was learning a lot about God and about the Christian life, and where I was learning a lot about God and what he was doing, his attributes, I was on a roll. I couldn't get enough. I was reading book after book. I was in seminary. I was delving into the theological depths of the doctrines of the faith. But one morning, in my quiet time, I began to thinking about all that I was learning. And I went down the list. I went, well, yeah, I'm learning this. I'm learning this. I'm learning this. Uh, but then a long pause. And I thought, but am I coming to know God? I mean, really know God on a deep personal, emotional level. Is, is everything I'm learning about God truly taking root in my soul? And it was, it was kind of like all of a sudden I realized that I was dabbling in all the doctrinal things about God, but was I getting that knowledge to descend from the interior depths of my heart where my life was reflecting what I said I believed about God? Well, it was a real turning point for me. The question I was faced with was, but how? How? How can I get this head knowledge down into my heart? How can I get his sovereignty to affect my life as long as it remains simply words that I mimicked? Well, to make a long story short, I decided to begin studying God's creation. God has revealed himself through both his word and his creation, right? So I began studying the stars. Yeah, I began studying the stars in my quiet time. I I started investigating the sizes, the distances, the sheer numbers, and my mind became enthralled with the awesomeness of God. For example, did you know that it is estimated that the earth weighs 6 billion trillion tons? That's 6 with 18 zeros on the end of it. And the sun weighs 700 times more than all the planets put together. Then I would read, for example, Isaiah 41.10. Listen to this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, and then I would think, in my little quiet time, I would think, if God can uphold the earth and the sun and all the planets, not to mention the hundred billion stars in our galaxy alone, how much more, how much more, how much more can he uphold my little life? And i got to tell you, it began to work. It began to work. Those lofty doctrines, those attributes of God started to become real to me, began to change me my faith automatically began to grow. And I didn't have to pump up my faith or to pretend that I had more than I really had. No, faith became a byproduct of my deepened knowledge of who God is. So, in conclusion, as we come face to face with all these brushes, with fear, with worry, and with the virus, Let me challenge you not to miss this absolutely profound opportunity it provides us with to truly deepen not just our knowledge of God, but our knowing of God that reaches into the deepest part of our hearts. If you're interested in exploring all this a little bit more deeply, I'd be more than glad to send you a list of resources that have been really helpful for me uh, over the years. Just email me. Uh, I think John can get you... Uh, my e- email address, it's real easy, rough 42 at gmail. But, uh, but uh, I'd be glad to share anything I have with you on that. But it's really made a big difference for me. Also, you may uh, give your offering as we conclude by placing your gifts in the offering plate in the back. Let's, let us pray. Well, Lord, we thank you that you are in control. And that you do love us. And you are watching over us more than we can even ever imagine. Whether we stay healthy or we don't. It's all under your divine, sovereign, loving direction. And so that gives us rest as is.